As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Paul, we have to we have to make a confession here to our listeners. We sold this show as the first in Allocation Disorder history that was going to be recorded in the same room, in the same place, by both of us together in El Salvador. But there's only one of us in El Salvador, and it's me. You are, uh, I'm staring at you on Skype right now. You're in a hotel room in Nashville. There's, I don't know, some guitar imagery on the wall behind you. Uh, very Music City vibes. Um, you had some unfortunate circumstances pop up with your family. It's all cool now. You're going to be coming to Honduras, but you know, you had to do the prudent thing and stay back. So you didn't get to experience the majesty that was Estadio Cuscatlan for the U.S. MNT's World Cup qualifier tonight. Thursday night, uh, down here in San Salvador. Of course, if you're listening to this, you likely already know that the match ended in a 0-0 draw. Uh, decent enough results. Performance left a little bit to be desired, I think is fair to say. Um, so we're going to just dive right in. We're going to break down this match. Uh, we're going to talk big picture. We're going to drill down on some of the specifics from the 90 minutes in San Salvador. And then we're going to, you know, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of, a, of the scenes here. Uh, from the ground, and then we'll look ahead to uh, to the next match on Sunday in Nashville against Canada, which we will both be attending in person happily. Um, so, so yeah, Paul, uh, sorry that you had to watch this in Nashville, um, but give us your give us your take, man. What'd you think? Yeah, big first, picture. First of all, let's knock on wood that like nothing else goes wrong for me uh, in the next few days, or me, just because like my month has been a disaster. Um, but you know, <laughs> we don't need to get into that now. I am glad to have a chance to finally, um, you know, finally get a chance to, to, to cover a game in person. As far as the impressions go of, of this team in this game tonight, I, I felt like, I felt like it was, yeah, it was lacking in anything that was exciting. You know, like it, there was no moment that made you stand up out of your chair. I, actually, I should take that back. I thought the U.S. was going to go up one nothing in the sixth minute when 
Gio Randall played the perfect cross in, and Miles Robinson. Robinson should have finished. He should have finished. Got his head on it as pure as you can get a head on it, and I, I you know, I thought okay, he was like one completely unmarked, unmarked I don't know totally, like, and and he ran right onto the ball like you want, and it didn't even get it on target. Um, but outside of that, it, you know, the, the the team looked disjointed in the attacking third for most of the game. They never really created a ton of dangerous opportunities. I thought that one, and then there was another one in the 76th minute that was a cross from Weston McKinney to Kellen Acosta. Those were probably the two best chances of the game for the U.S. And Conrad Delafuente had a good look at the at the start of the second half as well. Yeah, he you know that was like an interesting little counter, and but like I just felt like. Um, I felt like the highlight of the game was the crowd, you know? I felt like the the that was that was what we'll remember from that match was was the crowd in in San Salvador. You'll remember certainly better than I because I wasn't there, but um you know, first first time back in the final round of qualifying since 2009 and and they were enjoying it, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, I mean, if you want, we we weren't planning on talking about this just yet, but we can. I guess we can dive into it right now. Here, um, the crowd was incredible. If some of you have probably seen it, I tweeted out the full video of the El Salvador national anthem. And I'm admittedly kind of a sucker for for national anthems before soccer matches, like when Italy sings theirs and they're screaming it and they're crying and Gianluigi Buffon is like got tears in his eyes that like does something to me. But this was unlike anything I've ever seen before. The, there, first of all, let me wind it back a bit. U.S. soccer was told that the, by the El Salvador Federation that there would only be 29,000 people at Cuscatlan, uh, a smaller crowd than capacity because of COVID restrictions. Um, that obviously was not the case. <laughs> that was a packed house, probably 40,000 plus. And every single one of them, except for like a dozen USMNT fans who were stuck in a, in a corner of a section behind, a, behind the goal, um, were belting out that anthem like they've never sang anything else in their lives. It was unbelievable. Here we are five hours later sitting here recording this. I'm back in my hotel room. And I'm still getting chills just thinking about it. I put the whole video on my Twitter. Um, so if anyone wants to go check it out, you can find it there. But so that was kind of, I mean, when I think about this match 10 years from now, that's probably the only thing I'll remember. <laughs> Certainly nothing on the field uh, <laughs> yeah, rose, <laughs> rose, rose to that level. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was an incredible atmosphere. The the Salvadoran fans, obviously, I think you mentioned it, Paul. They'd been waiting 10 years to get back to this this stage of qualifying. Um, and they were ready for it, man. Uh, it was, it was a pretty pleasant environment for the most part. There were some, you know, uh, there were definitely some riot shields out there, out there protecting Gio Reyna <laughs> or trying to protect Gio Reyna from, from various beers and bottles and other liquids that were thrown at him when he was taking corner kicks in the second half. Um, there were fireworks that went off for five minutes. Did those come through on the broadcast, Paul? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Those came okay. through. Definitely. That was bizarre. They were just they were just shooting off fireworks for five minutes. I timed it. It, it. They started them after the anthem, and then they started back up at like a minute thirty, and they went for like four more minutes. It was bizarre. Um, so that was weird. Uh, but the cool thing, man, was like the gates were open at eleven thirty in the morning for an eight eight, 8 p.m. kickoff, which is wild, right? And Obviously, there weren't a ton of people there right when the gates opened. We got there, the contingent of American journalists who are down here. We got there around 4.30 to the stadium. 
And at that point, there were probably, I don't know, seven, eight, nine thousand people in the crowd. But by the time like 6 p.m. rolled around, which is two hours before kickoff, the place was pretty packed and they're starting to play music. It was, you know, I talked about this on the Twitter spaces we did, which were probably a trip to listen to because I was standing there in the quote unquote press box, which was just a row of, of seats. It wasn't a press box at all. Um, screaming basically because <laughs> it was so loud in there um so that must have been strange to listen to but you know they're blasting guns and roses at one point and then you know they're getting into some bachata and reggaeton i think at one point they played played a becky g song which kind of made me made me smile because of course she's dating a u.s men's national team player in sebastian the jet um so that was kind of funny um but yeah, the atmosphere was great. It was a party in the stands. It was a really good vibe. When things got closer to kickoff, there was kind of more of a nervous energy. And it was like, okay, we've been here forever. Let's get this party started. Then the anthem happened. There was a flyover. Another jet actually flew over like short as the fireworks were going early in the game, like during the match. Um, so I don't know if that one came through on the broadcast, but that was kind of interesting too. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a really, really cool environment. It's unlike any I've ever been in as a fan or as a journalist in the U S certainly it's not really comparable to anything that we, we see regularly in the States. Um, so yeah, it was a really cool experience. I wish the match would have kind of lived up to it. Um, but say lovey, uh, but Sam, it, was, I think, it was still very cool. I think that gives a lot of insight into the performance that we saw and, or, or at least into the difficulty of winning a game on the road in CONCACAF. Like I think, you know, you have to account for the amount of emotion that the Salvadoran team had in this game. The understanding, the amount of pride they were playing for, what yeah. they were playing for, the the crowd that they had behind them. Now, that wasn't the only reason that they were able to get a point in this game. I think there were some, we'll go through some of the lineup, It you know, people who, who struggled in the lineup, areas where they, the U.S. can get better. But I think it's it is one of those areas where, you know, it it does impact the game. It does impact the game, and it does impact it why does, it's so but, difficult to but play. Paul, there. the thing that was super weird to me, right, is because when you when you say what you just said, right, okay, you expect the home team that's all charged up and raring to go to come out and be on the front foot and really press, push the push the envelope in the opening minutes, and that's not what happened at all. Maybe the U.S.'s best 10 minutes of the entire match were the first 10 minutes. And they they were the ones pressing. They were the ones putting El Salvador under pressure. They were the ones that were generating chances off of that pressure. Uh, they obviously didn't finish any of them, right? Um, but they looked good in the opening 10 minutes. And I'm sitting in the stands. I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, they're kind of all over them right now. And then it changed pretty dramatically for the rest of the first half. You know, there were stretches there from the 20th to 30th minute, 30th to 40th, kind of in that range, where the U.S. couldn't get on the ball and couldn't get out of their own end. And El Salvador didn't really create anything super dangerous, right? Um, their final ball was really poor all night. But they did get themselves into some pretty good spots during that period of the match. Um, you know, we saw them have a couple of decent chances. Alex Roldan just absolutely put DeAndre Yedlin on his, on his tuchus <laughs> and nearly curled one into the top corner. I actually thought he was very good. Alex Roldan. I thought he had a nice game. Um, yeah, I agree. And it was a super, super cool moment. Actually, this is probably something that wasn't seen on the broadcast. So him, Christian Roldan came on for the U S 
late in the match, and he was stationed on the right wing. At that point, Alex Roldan had moved to left back. And so they're going one-on-one against each other. And they got into a couple physical battles. There was one where Christian got called for a foul, but he didn't. Uh, the, the, the linesman flagged for it and the referee didn't see it. So they continued playing on and they're just fighting all the way down the field. And then after the match, they, they swapped jerseys. They took a photo together, holding up the other's jersey on the field. Um, I mean, what a cool moment, man. Like to play against your own younger brother, who is your club teammate in Seattle in a World Cup qualifying game. That's unbelievable. Like what a cool moment for the Roldan family. We actually saw the Roldan family when we were pulling into the stadium, oddly enough. Uh, dad was wearing a U.S. jersey. Dad is is Guatemalan, and their mom, who is from El Salvador, was wearing an El Salvador jersey, both with Roldan on the back. Uh, so they were they were kind of the celebrities at the stadium today, which was kind of a cool thing. Definitely a um, cool moment to, to to for those guys, but also it had to be somewhat bizarre, right? I mean, like, yeah, think about it. You're 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 out there trying to win a game for your country, and you're matched up against your brother. Like there was that moment late in the game where Christian Rodon tried to tried to basically like dribble past his brother, right? And like a, a moment, yeah. and Alex kind of stuck him. He yeah, stuck him. And it, it's just, it, I just. It is cool. I mean, I mean, I imagine more than anything, it's cool. But it had to have been some level of awkward out there on the field. I, I don't know if it would be awkward, right? You compete against your brothers growing up, like yeah, they're one like, year these apart. Are like real stakes, man. Like no, I, I know. Real but I, I imagine. I, I'm, I was thinking about it. Like, what would I do if this was my brother and I was in this situation? And I think at the beginning there would be like a head nod and maybe like man, this is crazy, right? And and then you just get on with it, right? And then you then you process and talk about it after the match. Um, and I'm guessing that's what they probably did, right? That, I think that's what they would say in an answer, even if they didn't do it like that. <laughs> um, give the stock answer there. But that was a really cool moment. Um, I don't even remember what I was talking about before that part. Um, yeah, Alex Roland created a good chance. I, I think there was another decent chance off of a cross, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they, they came had two close. Good they came close the on a corner kick. Minute, Ronald Rodriguez yeah. had a header that went over the crossbar. In the 19th minute was that chance. Sorry, in the 33rd minute was that chance from Alex Roldan where off the corner kick he he had a nice little moment. We beat Yedlin, tried to curl it into the far corner, just missed it. And those were the two best chances of the first half. Well, Miles Robinson probably had the best chance of the first half. Yeah. But you know, those were the two chances. And I actually think those were the two best chances for El Salvador for the entire game. They weren't yeah, really they didn't threatening really have... at all in the second half. No, and in fact, really I think I, I didn't go look and see if he made I, There's only one save I remember from Matt Turner, and it was a pretty weak one to his left in the second half that he went down and kind of yeah. caught, and that was it. I mean, he wasn't really challenged in the game other than those two that missed no. the mark. He did, he did fine. Uh, he, you know, he didn't have a ton to do. Um, but I thought he, he did well kind of commanding his box. You know, he claimed a couple crosses. He had a couple nice takes on, on high balls in the air that he had to run a long way to go get. Um, so yeah, he, he did everything asked of him, certainly. Um, so yeah, I, you know, the environment, yes, it was daunting. It was different. Right. That was something that was emphasized after the match by, by Greg Berhalter and Tyler Adams and Tim Ream too. Um, they were like, Hey, you know, a lot of these guys, not only have they never played in an environment like this before, but they're used to competing, like having the nicest of nice things at these big teams in Europe. And that's not what this is. Right. And all of that stuff is an adjustment. Right. But I don't want to get so caught up in, Oh, road CONCACAF game. Like this is a talented U.S. team. And there wasn't, you know, it was a decent enough result. Like I'm not, 
Like this wasn't a failure or anything like that, but there was very little about that performance that was encouraging or that you would say, Oh, this is a team that's playing more as more than the sum of its parts. No, I think that's a team that played less than the sum of its parts tonight. Um, and I'm not sure that it rises to the level of like, Oh my God, these are huge red flags. Right. But as far as a learning experience or as a data point, it's not a great one, right? So they'll they'll take it and they'll build, right? And maybe maybe we'll see. Hopefully, we'll see a better performance at home on Sunday against Canada. Uh, but I think it's okay. I know Paul, you you know, I think you feel a little bit differently. Yeah, but I think it's okay. I think point. it's okay to expect a little bit more than what we got tonight. Yeah, of course, it's okay to expect more, and and of course, you can say it wasn't the best U.S. performance. But I think there's a few places I disagree with you in this sense. Like, first of all, I think that. You know, when we talk about whether a team plays well or whether they play better than the sum of the parts or, you know, something that would indicate that they're in a really good run of form, I think the point, you know, that I, I made in my column and that I think, you know, very strongly is it's hard to do that on the road in CONCACAF. It's hard sometimes to play to the level of um, what you would expect for your team because it of is. so many different things. Now, that's but, not to but say this that team should be, be capable of hard things. You can be yeah, – I think that it's not about being capable of hard things. It's that the, the style of the game, the style of the win is not going to look good. I don't think – I think there are just games where you're not going to play pretty soccer and, the, and the, the, the task is to get the result anyway. And, you know, that's where there can be disappointment. You know, I think it's a little bit less to me of like how great it looked and how well they were flowing together and, you know, all of that. I don't think that I, I don't care as much about that because I don't think that's a part of what happens in these road games against CONCACAF opponents. It's very rare that you see any CONCACAF opponent go on the road in qualification and ball out and play great soccer and dominate a game. It just doesn't happen very often. It has happened, but it's very rare. And, you know, so the task really in these games is go in, find a way to to get a result. And, of course, you know, as the national team players tonight and Greg Berhalter said, the goal, they wouldn't, they wouldn't change the goal. The goal was to win. The mindset was to win. The lineup was 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 set aggressively to try to get three points. And really, you look at the expected goals. You know that header from Miles Robinson was worth a lot. They had the yeah. header from Weston McKinney that he couldn't get on target. The header from Jordan Pifok late in the game he couldn't get on target. That moment to Kellen Acosta on the back post. The moment for Conrad. All of that added up to almost two expected goals in the game versus I think it was zero point two eight or zero point two nine for El Salvador. The moments were there to get the result and they didn't mm-hmm. do it. And that's where you're disappointed because you had the chances, even though you didn't play pretty soccer. I just, my thing is, you're not going to see those performances on the road. Historically, they just don't happen. I mean, yeah, no, they just right. don't happen. And, and I don't have an issue, by the way, with the fact that they didn't really play pretty soccer. Like, I understand that that's not going to happen. What sort of was my biggest like pet peeve or bugaboo or annoyance with this performance was that the U S wasn't good pressing. They were bad. 
right? They were good at it for the first few minutes, but they just didn't have it right pretty much from any point on from the 10th minute, really until Serginho Dest was subbed out in the 64th. And he was a topic of discussion in the match, after the match. Greg Berhalter was asked about him after the game and you know, he basically said... He ducked and so, dodged a little bit, I would yeah, say. He was like, yeah, we'll talk to Serginho about his performance. Like, w- that was what he said when asked to evaluate how Dust played. And that's pretty telling. He was poor. Like, really poor. I-, I think he won one challenge all night. And the one challenge he won was when he got stripped in- while he was dribbling in his own third uh, pretty aimlessly. And it could have been a dangerous chance, but he happened to to win it back. Um, so credit to him for that. But, you know, watching the game in person, Paul, and I don't know if this came through on, on the broadcast or not, but, you know, it was pretty evident that Tyler Adams did not trust him at all defensively. And for good reason, right? You saw what was happening. <laughs> Everything El Salvador was doing that was good in the first half was coming down the right. You know, when I was talking about them living in the U.S. US half in the opening 45, like, that was through the right-hand side. And Dest was kind of nowhere to be found for a lot of that. Um, it was frustrating to watch. His his teammates seemed to be getting a little bit frustrated with him. Um, and I think rightfully so. And so Adams, you know, he was pulled over to that side. And he was kind of gravitating towards Dest to cover. And that messed up the pressing midfield, right? So Burhalter sets up with Adams, McKenney, and Brendan Aronson in midfield. And that's a midfield that's going to go after it right? They're going to try and pressure the hell out of El Salvador and turn them over and hit in transition and create some opportunities that way. But when Adams is kind of pulled off back into the left to help cover for Dest, right? Well, that affects where McKenney and Aronson can line up in the positions that they can take on the field. And they need to kind of cover for the space that Adams has vacated, right? And so that kind of screwed up the whole press. Um, I thought Conrad was a little bit off on that. He looked a little unsure of himself in terms of when to go and when not to go. Um, and so that wasn't, it wasn't good. And that to me is something that shouldn't really be, I mean, maybe, maybe the crowd affects that, but the U S should have that down. They should know their triggers and they should act on them. And I think when Burhalter made that triple sub, what minute was it, Paul, like the 64th or whatever. And you saw Dest come off. You saw Anthony Robinson come on. You saw Jordan Pifak come on for Josh Sargent. And what is the other one that I'm forgetting right now? Help me out here, buddy. Uh, it was, yeah, Des came off and... Acosta. And Acosta, Acosta came, came on. In, into the game for Aaron. Yeah. Uh, yes. Did or he? for Conrad, sorry. For Aaronson Conrad, sorry. And Aronson moved to the wing, yes. Um, and once that happened, you saw it almost immediately, right? The U.S.'s pressing got a lot better. And some of that was Pifak for Sargent right? And having a forward with fresh legs, you can run it, guys, right? Some of it was that, but a lot of it was all of a sudden the midfield was moving as a pack, right? And Adams, McKenney, and Acosta were running around and causing all sorts of issues for El Salvador, making them really uncomfortable. And that wasn't something you really saw at all in the first half, um, or really the first hour. Um, And so, I don't know, I thought that made a huge difference. Um, But obviously, it didn't end in a goal. But to me, that's not something that like, it's one thing to not play pretty attract, attractive attacking soccer. Sometimes you're just not going to have it, right? But you should have that, in my opinion, just about every time. You should know your pressing cues. You should know when to go. And you should be able to move as a team. And the U.S. didn't do that tonight. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would agree that the shape was was disturbed by Dest's defensive liability, right? Being a defensive liability, the fact that he wasn't effective when he was defending, the fact that he didn't track back. I mean, this is all stuff that he's been doing for the U.S. for the la- his last couple games and for Barcelona. He's actually mm-hmm. been really hammered by Barcelona fans this year for the same same thing. Um, he kind of makes up his mind during games that he's not going to defend, and then he doesn't. And, you know, eventually that's going to lose him a job, either in Barcelona or in the U.S. or both. And, you know, he's going to have to make a decision whether or not he, he is going to change if he's going to be playing that spot. And for the U.S., there's a big choice now for Berhalter because he played him on the left tonight. Mm-hmm. I, I would wonder and expect that he's probably going to play on the right the next game. Yep. And so but, against but man, Alfonso like, Davies, but can you trust that? Or can you trust we, at that we've point? Talked, you, we've talked about this a couple of times in a couple of different ways. I think when the roster was announced, right, we were like, oh, Dest is going to sit the second game, right? Or he's going to play on the left in the second game because you don't want him going up against Davies, right? And then we sort of talked about it in a different way where it's like, oh, well, like maybe Serginho, like maybe he doesn't take some opponents all that seriously, but he knows Alfonso Davies, right? Bayern Munich, Barcelona, that's one that, that he'll get up for and that's a challenge that, that he'll be ready for and he'll be committed defensively. And maybe he will. Maybe we'll see that on Sunday, right? But is that a risk you want to take? And... Man, I don't even know if you have a choice because DeAndre Yedlin is your only other right back on the roster and he got subbed out because he was gassed tonight. You know, he moved, he was brought out with about 10 minutes to go and it moved Kellen Acosta who had only come on 15 minutes previously. It definitely wasn't planned because they they wouldn't have wanted to move Acosta out of the midfield. It It was not planned. Yeah, and it wasn't planned and I asked Berhalter about it and he was like, yeah, DeAndre was gassed. Like, he couldn't go anymore. So we had to do what we had to do. And that was moving a sub who came on a midfield to a new position at right back. Um, so who knows if he'll be ready, right, uh, uh, on Sunday against Canada. So you might have to start Dest out there. Uh, I, I suppose you could start Tyler Adams at right back, but um, I don't know if that's that's a prudent decision. And you could start um, a Costa at right back as well if you needed to. But I, just, I think the yeah. little, more likely scenario is it's going to be Serginho Dest. And that puts yeah. a lot on a player who is coming off of a really poor performance. Now, mm-hmm. he also is more of a natural right back than he is a left back. He's right footed. Yep. Maybe that's where he plays for Barcelona. You know, a lot he'll of be people, more com- He'll be more comfortable on that side. Yeah, he'll, sure. he'll be more comfortable there. But it, it's not about comfort level like when you play I grew up playing fullback not that it's anything close to the same level as playing for Barcelona the U.S. national team but when you're talking (laughs) about comfort levels of fullbacks playing on the opposite side it's because your your strong foot on the outside the, the the types of passes you make the types of touches you make those are all geared toward the side that you're playing on right and and if you're going to be coming into your strong foot like if you're inverted um, and that's what they're trying to get out of Sergio Dest. That's where you talk about kind of changes in mentality. The decision whether or not to drop back and defend 
when you after you go forward. That doesn't it doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right. It's just an effort. Decision. It's just an effort and a desire. Nations thing. League, he was on the it's right side. This. Nations League, you, Serginho Desco was on the right side, and it was the same problem. Yeah. So there, it's not there was about a moment, what side he's on. There was a moment in about the 55th minute or so tonight and somebody turned it over for the u.s and el salvador was able to get out and transition a little bit i actually think it was dust that turned it over and he wasn't jogging back he was running but i don't think he was running his hardest and i think adams passed him it was adams passed him and in fact what happened was and, and it happened twice on the same play because they came into a challenge and it sort of snuck out the ball did and they had to chase him down again and it go went out for a corner kick, and Adams after he's he's just kind of walking around with like his his arms out, palms to the sky, shaking his head. I don't know if he was doing that to Dest or to something else, but he was definitely frustrated about something. And if I was that player in that position, I would be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, are you gonna track back? You're a defender. Like, you messed that up. It's your responsibility to make it right. And you're not running that hard? Like, what's going... Like, yeah, that's, I mean, it was also... Like, that's was unacceptable, a, man. It was a simple choice. Like, what happened was he lost the ball. Adams Adams tracked back beyond him uh, initially off the first turnover. And as Des started to run to track back, the ball kind of popped out to a player who was higher up the field. And Des had started to track back. At that point in time, when the ball goes backwards for El Salvador... Des isn't supposed to stop and try to pressure there, right? His his job straight at that back. point is yeah, to recover. Back. You know, yeah. recover your shape, get back to where you're supposed to be. Instead, he stopped to press that ball or to quote-unquote press it, to apply pressure to the ball that was – because it was close to him. But he didn't really apply any sort of real pressure. And so they played it down the line immediately with him – not offering any sort of defensive pressure. I mean, this is how I remember it. I haven't gone back and watched the second time. Yeah. And then Tyler Adams was chasing again. And that's where the problem was. It was, it was a slow recovery. Then he didn't recover and that allowed, and then he didn't press when he didn't recover and mm-hmm. that allowed that second ball to go. It was, that was kind of indicative of, of the way he was approaching the position overall in the night. And yeah, it's just, it's problematic. And it's, not to focus in on just him, but also it's worth noting he's one of the best players on the field for the U.S. without Christian Pulisic out, right? He's supposed to be somebody who makes a difference in the game, who's a leader in the game because of the club he plays for and the expectations around him. And he, he can't be a liability. He can't be the no. opposite of that. And that's what no. he was tonight. Yeah, he was absolutely liability. I thought he was the worst player on the field for the U.S. Um, and maybe one of the worst in overall for both teams. It was not good. Um, when I look at him, I see a guy who's playing fullback who wants badly to be playing winger, you know? And there's nothing wrong with that. And part of me is like, maybe he should play winger, like on this team, um, especially right now when you're down Pulisic and, and Tim Wea in a game like tonight. But obviously he doesn't have the experience there at club or country on the professional or international level. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Paul, we have a lot more to drill into. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back afterwards with some more specific opinions, evaluations, context, comments. Stay with us. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. 
dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And we are back. Paul has informed me via a Slack message that's 15 minutes old that I've been saying right a lot tonight, even more than I usually do. So apologies for that. I've instructed him to just say it to my face next time so I can stop in real time because, you know, Paul, I'm engaged in this show. I'm not looking at Slack, man. Sam, I'm paying man, attention I, to sorry. you. We get we get hit for we have like right counters on Twitter, man. And I was we like, do. Man. we do say it a lot, mostly me, but you know, it's fine. Like you know, we, we can build in a little a little. You know, you can you can come at me in the show. That's fine. I come at you in the show. You can come back at me. I'm cool with it. Um, that's why I carry the piano. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, we talked a lot about Serginho Dest. Um, we don't need to talk anymore about him, and that would be a little bit gratuitous. We are just going to go around, kind of go around the horn and talk about what we thought of different guys in different spots. Um, we could start from the back, if that makes sense. Uh, we talked we talked about Matt Turner already. You know, he was fine. He didn't have a ton to do. Not much to write home about there. I thought the center backs were pretty good, Paul. I thought Tim Ream, you know, that choice caused a lot of consternation and angst probably on USMNT Twitter. But I thought he performed pretty well. There was a moment probably in the 15th or so minute when he was trying to shield the ball out for a corner and didn't realize there was, or for a goal kick, and he didn't realize there was somebody sneaking behind him, and that person then earned a corner. That was a little bit dicey, a little bit nervy, but I thought for the most part he was solid, and I thought Miles Robinson was was good, although he he should have scored. Um, any any thoughts on that on the on the two center backs? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I actually thought Tim Ream had a really good night. You know, other than, yeah, other than that yeah. moment you mentioned, um, which which wasn't really a huge moment, by the way. No, and he was called upon multiple occasions to clear crosses um, in the second half. I thought he was especially active defensively. Um, I, I thought I thought he performed as well as he has for Fulham at the beginning of the season. He's been in really good form for Fulham. And I, I thought he was good tonight. Miles Robinson, again, good tonight again defensively, uh, which is what they need from him specifically. Um, so overall, strong performance from the center backs. And, and yeah, I think especially considering that people hold their breath about Tim Ream, you know, I think he answered all the questions asked of him tonight when when needed the most. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Yedlin on the right side, he, he was fine. He, there wasn't there wasn't a lot for him to do. He got yeah, he got sauced up a little bit by Alex Roldan. Um, you know, that could have been really bad. Uh, <laughs> luckily for him, Roldan you know missed the mark on the shot, but. Um, really, that was kind of the only time in the game that he was super present. There wasn't a, a ton of happening down the left side for El Salvador. No, um, but yeah, he, thought, he he definitely he definitely was gassed at the end of the game. Both he and Brendan Aronson was, were were oh, cooked, yeah. man. They were both yeah. cooked. Um, I thought Yellen could have been a bit better in possession, but he certainly wasn't alone in that uh, on the U.S. team tonight. I thought you know there were times, particularly in the first half. When, you know, they were building their triangles and they were trying to build up through the right. And, you know, I thought they had some good moments when Yenlin got up the field 
and he was on the touchline and Gio Reyna was kind of making those runs down the middle channel into the box. Yedlin fed him, I think, two times uh, for through balls in, into the area that, that Reyna attempted to kind of cut back. I think one, he tried to put a shot on goal and missed wide. Um, so there were some good moments there, but they were way too few and far between. And I thought it was a little bit disjointed out there. Um, although, you know, it was certainly more impactful than left side was. Um, so yeah, could have been better, but wasn't bad. Um, so yeah, I thought... I thought Tyler Adams, I mean, it's amazing to watch him in person. It is amazing. The amount of ground that that guy covers is absurd, Paul. Like he was everywhere at 100 miles per hour in the first minute, the second minute, the third minute, the 89th minute, the 90th minute. There was no change in intensity or speed. The level of fitness is, it's unreal. Like I'm like, how are you doing this? doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a monster. He's a beast. It's always been what he's done, but you know, he he continues to do it at a higher and higher and higher level. And when he's on the field, he he, I think he just brings a level of confidence and consistency in that confidence that we don't really see from maybe anyone else on the U.S. national team. I mean, you just um, kind of I feel like you know what you're going to get from him every single game, and he brings it. You know, yeah, like, I think he combines the confidence with steadiness. Yeah. Let's say Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna has a lot of confidence. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, confidence, confidence. I'm talking about our confidence in him. Like our uh, yes, belief that yes. he's going to bring X every single game. Yeah, you know, because so even relaxed. guys like Christian Pulisic, he'll have a game where maybe he, he disappears a bit. Tonight, Weston McKinney, I thought, didn't, you know, he didn't have as big of a role as he needed to have with Christian Pulisic out. Same with Gio Reyna. You know, with, with Tyler Adams, Granted, he's he's not being asked those things in the final third that we notice more. But you know, you kind of know what you're going to get from him, and you typically get that. You know, yeah, you typically no, I thought get that. I thought he was solid tonight. You know, again, just like everybody else on the team, probably could have been a little bit better with his distribution. The U.S. didn't build a ton out of the back tonight at all. Um, they didn't have a ton of like. I mean, there weren't many passages of play that you can look back at and be like, "Oh, that was a good one." You know, it was a really good build-up. I mean, for like, 40 minutes in the what, first half, to your point about, like, how the game kind of changed after that Miles Robinson header, it was about, yeah, about 35, 40 minutes of the second half. They they were very direct because there were, there were you know, some 10 and 12-minute phases of the game where I thought El Salvador was really pressuring them and, and it forced them to go vertical and then they'd lose the ball very quickly. And they, they never really, I mean, maybe very, very late in the second half, they had a couple moments where they finally kind of carried the ball into the attacking half of the field and started to play a little bit of soccer. The beginning of the second half, they came out and they were playing a little bit of soccer, but there wasn't a ton of it. And and I actually think, no. you know, with the way how soft the field looked um, and then the fact that they were doing that for a lot of the game where they were having to kind of run and chase and press, that's why you saw guys like Yedlin and Aronson start to just their legs start to oh. just give out a bit plus the travel yeah. and all that but like i just yeah, thought it was like, pretty hot and humid too you know, I, yeah. you know it was it wasn't a game where they were controlling the game with the ball that's for sure no not at all uh you mentioned mckenny let's spend a little more time on him i thought uh, he's such a weird player to me but i think he's obviously a good player he's obviously talented he's super disruptive in in the in in dangerous positions right he's really strong he's good at winning the ball um I think he's improved a lot in his understanding and knowing when to go and where to be and his positioning and all of that stuff. But he fades in and out of games, like the same games. You know, I think back to the Nations League final against Mexico, right? And if I'm remembering right, he was poor in the first half. 
Wasn't he, wasn't he, didn't he have a turnover on one of the goals? Like the first goal that was like really, really bad. Um, and in the second half and an extra time, he was the best player on the field. Um, so it's just kind of a, he's an interesting guy in that he can kind of go Jekyll and Hyde on you. I thought he had some good moments tonight, but I thought for the most part, him and Aronson, the two number eights, when Aronson was in the middle, they, they couldn't really get on the ball. And, and part of that was the U.S couldn't really get on the ball, right? Um, and they were going direct, like you said. Uh, I thought McKenney did a nice job defensively tonight, but you know, not the impact in the attacking third that you would want to see from him. He did have one one chance where he got up on a header, uh, but he couldn't keep it on frame. It was it was a difficult one, to be fair to him. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, just I don't know how many other guys on the field would have gotten up to header No, he all. got up for it. It was impressive. <laughs> it was like, um, damn. You just wish that. I just expected him to get it on frame because of the way the ball got so good at those. and yeah. how high he got and he timed it pretty well and then he just couldn't couldn't get it on frame. Yeah, I thought I thought he struggled a bit in this game just to find the game and find any sort of rhythm in the game. And I think that's where that's where he tends to fade out of games when he's not getting his touches and he's not really, um, you know, not really getting a rhythm. And I felt like the same with Brendan Aronson. It's like he was there. To, Aronson was like invisible. Yeah, in he was there half. to press and do things like that. But there weren't really moments for him to do it or do it, you know, consistently because the U.S. was defending kind of deeper than they would have liked. It wasn't like he yeah. was there to high press. That wasn't happening no. very much. And, and, and but I do. part of that was, sorry, Paul, part of that was him being on the left side. The left side was uh, all sorts of a mess in the first half in particular. Um, and that's where Aronson was stationed. And yeah, it was just, it wasn't pretty out there. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I do want to say, and I, I might be skipping forward here, but I do think there was a noticeable difference immediately in the activity for those central midfielders after Josh Sargent got subbed out of the game. And, and you know, this starts to show how all of these pieces fit and work together. But mm-hmm. in that, in a game like that where the, the team is going more direct and you've got to try to find outlets that can hold the ball and that can distribute the ball quickly at times or, or hold it for a while longer at times, like I thought right away Jordan Pifok had had moments where he changed the game and changed the ability for midfielders like Weston or Kellen Acosta yeah. um, and, and I think it helps and, and others to, to actually yeah. find the game a bit more because he checked back, he won the ball, he kept it, he turned, he played a ball out to the wing right away, led mm-hmm. to a good little attacking movement. That was lacking with Josh Sargent tonight. I I, you know, a lot of people who weren't at the stadium like you, you know, heard Charlie Davies talk really positively about Josh Sargent and kind of all had the same reaction that Aguchi Onyewu had, which is like, what are you talking about? He wasn't good. Um, <laughs> was, that happened on, on the post game show. It was a or very something? weird exchange. Yeah. It was, there was, a, <laughs> they were, they were not agreeing about, uh, Josh Sargent's performance. Uh, I don't know what Charlie Davies was talking about. Respect to him, but. Sergeant was poor tonight, man. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I really see it with him at this point. He's, uh, he works really hard. I'm not trying to bag on the guy. There's something there, right? He, he looked really good for the U.S. in his first few games. I think you mentioned that in one of our Slack channels, Paul, um, back in 2018. Yeah, 2018 I say. under Dave Sarakin. Maybe he needs yeah. Dave Sarakin back. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he needs Dave Sarakin back. Um, uh, but he hasn't really played all that well for the U.S. in quite some time, unless I'm forgetting something. No, and, fair to say. 
and he he's he's got a not awesome club situation. Uh, he's wasn't in an awesome club situation before. So we'll see where it goes with him. But right now, if Giassi's artist was healthy, I don't think Josh Sargent would be starting. And I think if Giassi's artist was healthy, I think the U.S. might win this game tonight. Um, which, you know, people are people might roast me for that. I don't know. Giassi's artist isn't exactly the most beloved person in the uh, among the USMNT fan base. Oh, man. He but is now. He is now. I mean... It's just crazy, man. Like, it's crazy. The U.S. is like, man, this team, this team needs striker pull. (laughs) Yeah, but but Sam, that's that to me, this is the thing about Jossie's artist. Everyone trashes Jossie and they want this and they want that player, this player, that player. Well, Daryl DK played in those knockout games and was was Mm -hmm. invisible. Yeah. You know, Josh Sargent played tonight and was bad. And mm-hmm. when Jossie came in in the knockout games, he was good and he changed the game. And he was, he, yeah. and when he started, he was good. Like, he is the best striker in the pool right now so far that's played. Period. Yeah. Who knows with Pepe, right? Maybe, maybe um, Pepe will grab the job. Maybe. I, I mean, it's there for the taking. Yeah. We, we keep saying this about different strikers. Like, it's like, oh, DK is going to grab the job. Nope. Like, Oh, Sargent's going to grab it. No, he still hasn't. He's been given every opportunity in the world at this point. He still hasn't taken it. That door is still wide open. Like to the point where if like Josie Altidore gets off to a good start in the 2021 MLS season, like who knows? (laughs) Like I wouldn't even rule it out. Maybe Bobby Wood can get himself back in the mix. I mean, CJ Sapong is scoring goals for fun with Nashville. (laughs) Like It's just like... You're looking around for solutions, and and you're just kind of like, all right, I really hope Pepe hits, and I think Pepe will hit long term. I think he's a really good player, but uh, you know, it needs to happen fast for qualifying. Uh, so hopefully, he can hit fast for the sake of the USMNT. But yeah, Sargent didn't have it tonight. We we're missing the wingers. You sort of touched on Gio Reyna, but you know, we, when we were kind of sitting down, Paul, and, and talking about storylines ahead of this camp and ahead of these three games. One of the ones that came up was Conrad De La Fuente. Who the hell is this guy? Right? Like we know, I mean, we've seen him play a few times for Marseille now. Obviously he was with Barcelona B. We don't know a ton about his story. We don't know a ton about his, about his play. Really? He doesn't have many senior minutes, senior first team minutes in his career. Um, he doesn't have much time with the national team. He wasn't called to the gold cup or to nations league. Um, and here he is starting the first qualifying match. What, what did you think of him today? Yeah, he was up and down, but I kind of expected that for all the reasons you just said, you know, here he is stepping in for Christian Pulisic in a world cup qualifier on the road, you know, after not being with the team at all in the summer and, we haven't really seen him a ton, and he's finally getting consistent minutes on the, the senior level for the first time in his career, but it's still only been a couple games. You know, he, he wasn't really that active in the first half. You know, the U.S. wasn't in general in the attacking phase of the game. I thought in the second half he found the game a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a big chance yeah, he had a right good, off the bat. He had a good chance early on, and, you know, I I just think, I don't know. I I think he's an incomplete as much as he played tonight. You know, I <laughs> I just think there wasn't a ton to to really say he he is this or he's that. Like he was fine. Um, no one no one in the attacking phase of the game stood out to me tonight. I thought there was just a lot left to be desired on the field and, and that side of things for for the U.S. Uh, here's what I thought about Conrad. Um, first half, I thought he looked really unsure of himself. 
I thought he was pretty much the only guy on the field where the moment looked the moment. I'm not going to say the moment looked big for him, but he just looked, he, he just looked uncertain and not totally sure what, what to do most of the time. Right. I, I think he was, it didn't really look like he was so, so sure when to press. You saw some guys gesturing for him to go when he wasn't going, um, which is a sign that maybe he missed the trigger. Um, you know, on the ball, him and Serginio Dest were winding up in some of the same spaces, so there was a little bit of uncertainty there and, and getting in each other's way. Um, but in the second half, I really liked how he responded. Like, I really, really liked how he responded after the break. You know, he had that chance right off the kickoff in the second half that he probably could have done a little bit better with, but he got himself in a good spot. And then he had a couple other, couple other like, long runs on the ball that ended in a dangerous position and ended with him slipping someone through. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, overwhelming or anything like that. Uh, the first half was a little bit of a struggle for him. Um, but I liked how he responded in the second half. Um, because like you said, like that first half sorted to be expected given the circumstances, especially with him, I would say more with him than anyone else on the team. Um, and so to see that guy respond in a positive way, I'm not trying to make too much of it, but in a positive way in the second half, I thought was encouraging. Yeah, and they're going to need him. You know, I, I thought the, the sub made sense because when you look at Christian Pulisic, I'm guessing he can only probably go 60 minutes on Sunday if he's cleared to play somewhere somewhere in that range if you want him to be available for Honduras. So you're probably calling on Conrad De La Fuente and or Brendan Aronson to play at least 30 minutes on Sunday and then to contribute again the following Wednesday. So... Um, he's going to have more chances to come into the game and impact things. And, and yeah, you hope he learned from that first opportunity and gained a little bit of confidence and understanding of what's being asked of him. But, um, you know, overall, I, I thought that, you know, yeah, like I said, I thought it was kind of an incomplete for him, partly just because he's he's fig- finding his way a little bit more than the other guys on the team. Yep. Any other uh, any other guys you want to shout out? Any other players you want to highlight their performance? I mean, I noted it earlier. One? I thought Jordan P. Falk was very good as he, when he came in as a sub. Kellen Acosta, I think, always brings good energy. Like, the subs, I thought... He brought great energy. Yeah, I thought the and, subs And it was a kind job. of a bummer that he had to move out of the midfield. Yeah, but. it was. I mean, it certainly, again, it wasn't the plan. I would have expected, you know, probably to see... Um, Rolled on for Aronson. Yeah, rolled on for Aronson. And, and, and then you see maybe a little bit of a different look when you have Acosta pressing um, in that midfield. Instead, they had to move him out and change the dynamics of the central midfield. Um, just an unfortunate reality sometimes when, when the guy's, guy's gassed. But, um, you know, look, I, I, thought, I thought Kellen Acosta was good again tonight. I, I would expect him to start against Canada. Um, in fact, I think it's going to be a Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Kellen Acosta. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. I know yeah. we're supposed to do Slow that. down. Hold on. Let Slow me down. Stop. Let's let's, do let's take a quick things. let's <laughs> take a quick break and we'll come back with, with more of what Paul thinks about Canada. <laughs> Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, 
courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right. You know what we're talking about already. Paul was just talking about it. So, Paul, keep on talking about it. What do you think we're going to see for Canada? What do you think needs to improve? What are you most curious about? What are you most intrigued by ahead of the match on Sunday in Nashville against Canada, who drew at home against Honduras 1-1 to in their first qualifier tonight? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that we're going to have to flag, and we've we've already talked about some of them on the show today. One, Serginio Dest and, and how he performs against Alfonso Davies in Canada. I think we're going to see him play. I think we'll see him play it right back, partly because Yedlin was gassed and they, they don't really have a lot of options, um, but partly because he plays for Barcelona and he's used to playing players the stature of Alfonso Davies, and there's no one else in the pool who plays that position that has that experience. Um, so I, I, a big, big flag on that and kind of watching how that plays out. In midfield, I, I do think the U.S. is going to take an aggressive approach in the sense of saying, we are going to bully people in this game. And and the, the midfield, I think, does that is Weston, Kellen, and Tyler. I think you see that that kind of mentality come out of those three players to kind of be the antagonist, to, to push... Um, to push Canada out of their comfort zone, to make them uncomfortable on the road. Um, and that's kind of what I'm expecting. Um, and then the last one for me that I'm, I'm going to be watching is who who plays up top, who starts up top. Do you start Jordan Peefock? Who I thought, you know, when he started in the, uh, or when he played substantial minutes in the Nations League final because it went to extra time, he kind of faded out of the game. I think he does well as a substitute in the international level. I wonder if Pepe gets his first start. You know, I, I, I don't know, but I, that's, that's the other, that's the big question mark that I have there is, is who starts up top for the US MNT. What about yeah. you, Sam? I, I pretty much agree with you, uh, on all facets of what you said. Um, the, the question about up top is definitely a big one. Uh, you know, Burhalter, he said some interesting things on a podcast that he did with Bobby Warshaw a few weeks ago kind of about using subs is is like almost closers like in baseball right like having guys that maybe deserve to start potentially but knowing that their skill set or their mindset or some combination of the two makes them super effective late in games when the other team is tired i think he sees pfock as one of those guys and so i don't know that we'll see him from the start um that being said you know <laughs> Maybe that was the plan, and maybe the plan was to start Sargent again, but maybe the plan changed after what we saw in El Salvador with, from Sargent, right? And and I don't know if you want to give Pepe his debut in a, as a starter in qualifying. Maybe you throw it on the kid, right? But I don't know. That seems a little bit unlikely to me. You won't so have I, any other chances for a while. You're not going to have any other chances to start him until the summer unless it's qualifying, so... No, but but you don't have there. to give him you don't have to give him his debut as a starter. Yeah, you know? that's true. Like he, that's true. That that's what I meant. Um, so you know, I would be a little bit surprised if Pepe was handed that kind of responsibility right out of the gate. But hey, life is full of surprises. The other question I have is who starts at center back? Right, I think John Brooks will like guaranteed. He Burhalter was asked about that. And after the game, like, hey, why did you rest Brooks? Was it just a situation of load management or was there something more? And he was like, no, it was just load management for the other two games. So we'll see Brooks start the next two games unless something happens to him injury-wise. Um, so we'll see him. 
but who's going to play on the right side of him? Do you think it's Miles Robinson it again? To, it has to be Miles Robinson. You can't play anyone else in that spot next to Serginio Des with Alfonso Davies there. And you have to assume that there are going to be multiple moments where that center back is left in space, potentially one-on-one against Alfonso Davies. You cannot yeah. put Walker Zimmerman and, in that and spot. And Tejan Buchanan you running like a freight put, train behind him. Yeah, you cannot put James Sands. You can't, it has to be Miles Robinson in this game. It has to be. Yeah. And then maybe we see Zimmerman and Brooks in, in the finale or something like that. Um, man, that makes sense. Uh, I do wonder if we'll see Turner or Stefan, right? I think if Stefan is healthy, I don't think Turner had enough to do tonight where he, he claimed the number one job, right? He did everything right, but he didn't have that much to do. So I think if Stefan's healthy, we'll see him. He's obviously dealing with back, back spasms that kept him in Nashville. So we'll see on that front. Um, Wingers, I think Gio Reyna is, is a shoe in there. Uh, yeah, you hope it's the, Christian Pulisic. You hope it's Christian Pulisic, yeah. If, it, if it's Christian Pulisic, then uh, you know you're you're happier. I'm interested to see you know after all this and and considering the issues defensively with Sergio Dest, you know, do they go to do they even think about the three man back line um, and get Sergio Dest a little bit more cover, get get him higher up the field. Um, you bring in James Sands as part of that three-man back line with Miles Robinson and um, and John Brooks. And, you know, you ease a little bit and you play Kellen Acosta and um, Weston McKinney or Kellen Acosta and Tyler Adams. And, and it, it changes mm-hmm. the whole dynamic, right? Because then you're talking about playing Gio Reyna up top, potentially next to Pepe or next to Pfaff, or maybe you're playing Christian yeah. Pulisic up top. And he has to worry a little or bit maybe less it's a about three, his four, defensive three. responsibility. Yeah. So there are, there are some other aspects that could really, you know, throw a wrinkle into the combination if you, if you especially, and again, I actually think part of that conversation, I think, is driven by do you trust Sergio Dest or not? I think, in a it's only driven, I think it's only driven by that. Well, I think part of it is also up top, right? If you, if you think you need, to pair a striker, if you feel like you don't have a guy who can be the lone striker and give you what you need, and maybe you're looking at a, what Christian Pulisic's defensive responsibilities would be as a second striker versus as a winger, like that factors in too. But the main thing for me is probably Serginho Dest and in that matchup. So that's the only other question I have is do you go completely the other way and change up the formation because of of what we just mentioned, or is it you know Miles Robinson? We trust you to handle it, <laughs> you know, and, and we and we have that trio where it's Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, all of whom are capable of covering on that side, all of whom are capable of yeah. recovering defensively. You have yeah. a little bit more of that dynamic there. We'll it's see. an interesting it's an interesting thing to think about, Paul. I think I think they'll stick with a four man backline, if I had to guess. But uh, you know, you make a compelling case. I'll put it like that. <laughs> it just popped up into my mind because I'm thinking of things that scare me in, in matchup wise, <laughs> you know? And so that, Yeah, that's, that's where you one, start two, to find three, these other four, solutions, I think. you know? Yeah. Um last thing here before we wrap up the show for the night and you know, both go to sleep here. It's three in the morning where you are. It's, it's two three in the morning. morning, morning. morning yeah. yeah. Um, doing this late night. Uh, what'd you think of Burhalter? 
what'd you think of the job, the selection, uh, the, how the how the team, how he performed in the first qualifier? I thought it was fine. I mean, everyone, if you when you looked at that lineup going into the night, the one thing people were questioning was Tim Ream. No one was complaining about anything else about the lineup. Everyone else was kind of expected in that lineup. Tim Ream was the big question mark. He performed well. He performed well. Maybe some people would be taking shots at Des playing on the left instead of the right. Um, but when you, when you, again, when you game out the three games and you know who, who's here on the roster, I think that was, you know, it was going to have to be that Serginio played both sides at some point. Um, I, I guess you could have played, played Serginio on the right for two games and played Yevon. But, yeah. um, you know, for me, I thought Tim Ream was fine. I, again, I thought the subs had an impact in the game. I thought they were the right subs at the right time, um, especially yeah. that triple substitution. It, it was a necessary move on multiple fronts, immediately made an impact and changed yeah. the game. If, if anything, it could have come earlier by a few minutes, yeah, I mean, honestly. Yes, I, but look at look at that's what not, that's not like I a mean, huge. I think they did critique. it in the 64th minute. Maybe yeah. I'm guessing. I actually think the aim was a little bit earlier. If I remember too, I think there was a corner kick that ended up happening, and they didn't make the subs at that point. Maybe that mm-hmm. was the next round of substitution. I mean, those guys had their bibs off and and went back and left the warm up area and were gone for like a good five minutes at least before they came into the game. So there was there was a little bit of lag time there. Uh, but yeah, just. I'm not saying that's like a knock on Burhalter. I think it's a fine time to make a substitution. I'm just saying Dest and Sargent were, were having rough goes. And I don't know. I turned to uh, a couple other people that I was sitting next to in the press box. And <laughs> and was like, he's got to get Dest off. Like, he's got to. And like that was like the 50th minute or so. Um, actually, there were some fans behind me uh, who who were kind of incredulous and granted my Spanish is not perfect. So I didn't understand them exactly, but it was pretty clear. They were like, what is going on with this desk guy? Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so he was, he was a topic of discussion, even in the stands. Yeah. Not, not his best performance. No, for sure. Um, all right, man. Well, I'll see you tomorrow in Nashville, Paul. Yeah. I'll see you tomorrow I'll, night. And Safe by tomorrow, I mean, back. I mean today. Yeah, it's going later it's, tonight. It's technically tomorrow is today now. So, I'll see you later uh, yeah, tonight. I will see you there. We will obviously be on hand in Nashville for USA versus Canada on Sunday. And then we'll, you know, knock on wood, like Paul said, be traveling to Honduras for the finale of this three pack of qualifiers next Wednesday night. We'll have tons and tons and tons and tons of coverage on the athletic throughout. We'll be doing another allocation disorder. Maybe, I don't know, maybe two if we're crazy. Probably not two. Maybe just probably just one next week after the Honduras game. So yeah, stay with us. Stay tuned. I don't know. We will be doing some Twitter spaces, though. We will be doing some Twitter spaces on Sunday. Maybe we'll throw a couple more of them in. We'll start calling them mini live allocation disorders. Wow. That's a a real... That really rolls off the tongue. Malad. Malads. Malad. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 